Our scripture reading today is from Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my stronghold in my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the day... Under the cover of his tent, he will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer innocent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses has risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look up on the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Take your, let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you all. Well, I want to welcome you again, um, and I, I get the privilege to speak from the Bible this morning and to uh, um, preach from this passage that is a beautiful one. It may be familiar to you, the Psalms may be. If you're unfamiliar to the Bible and um, uh, even maybe coming back into the church, maybe this is a, a Mother's Day where your mom dragged you back, and uh, I want to welcome you. Glad you're here. Um, we have been looking at <clears throat> what's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's a sermon that Jesus gave in the New Testament. We're taking a break to look at actually the Psalm, uh, Psalm 27 today from the Psalms as, uh, as just a break from that, looking at even uh, God's maternal instinct. You know, how does God actually care for us? How is he nurturing? And in, li in, 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 uh, in light of uh, our happy Mother's Day. And I, <clears throat> as I often do, I was... Uh, sitting in Starbucks this morning, and uh, I do it before I uh, come over here in the mornings. I get up super early and, and look over my sermon, and just, then I go to Starbucks and have um, <clears throat> a sandwich and some coffee and just kind of tear apart my sermon, basically, and, and rebuild it, and, and uh, the Lord's just work. But uh, basically, I'm sitting there this morning, and I notice more than normal uh, a lot of uh, fathers walking in, a lot of, a lot of dads with their children, blurry-eyed, obviously pushing them out of the house um, to, uh, <laughs> to, to let mom sleep, way more than normal. It was actually hysterical um, to see that just over and over. And I was interested in, <clears throat> there's an article I read just this last week um, titled this, Mother's Day, the Aftermath, Brunch, Flowers and Hugs, and Then It's Back to Reality. 
And uh, it was basically a series, almost like Jimmy Fallon would have, uh, on uh, basically these posts, social media posts of just uh, hashtag Mother's Day fail, you know, <laughs> either cards gone wrong or brunch didn't happen or something like that. But it was interesting to me, if, if, you, if, you, if you look at anything, it made me curious about Mother's Day itself, like where did it come from? Uh, is it one of those things kind of like Valentine's Day or whatever that may have come from uh, a Hallmark kind of thing, or is it, is it, there's more to it? Because if you, if you look around, it's, it's very commercialized, right? It's, there's, if you want to look up articles on it, all you'll get is, hey, what should you get? Last minute gifts. You know, I literally saw a guy pushing, I was driving over, pushing a stroller with like flowers from Kroger stuck in the, in the cup holder and like going across the, the sidewalk. I mean, last minute gifts. That's what we typically think of. But here's what's interesting. It actually began in the early 20th century, 1908, 1910, by a woman named Anna Jarvis, who Anna actually herself, this is what I thought was very interesting, uh, was, had no children and uh, was not a mother as, as well, was not married. And she, but she actually really wanted, she, uh, growing up in the, in the Methodist church that she did, she really wanted mothers to be uh, encouraged for their sacrifice. So as she uh, really did this, she pushed it out. She began a couple of things, and thousands of people were really involved in this encouragement uh, type thing. She actually did a couple of different ways. And she decided she would write letters to President Woodrow Wilson at the time to say, okay, I really think this needs to be a national holiday. Most national holidays are very, just about men and what they can do. We need to encourage women. It was a very, very beautiful thing of her. But, but what she realized is once she did that, then, then jumped the commercialization. Now, it's not just today. Just then, it began with cards, flowers, things like that. And the, and the holiday actually began this, this consumerism in that time. And she reversed her field, and it said in 1920 that she became disgusted with how the holiday had been commercialized. So she outwardly denounced the transformation and urged people to stop buying flowers and everything else. In fact, it says that she used up all of her money on legal fees to try and work against the commercialization. Now, why do I share all that? Well, because we enter into a, to a holiday, like I said before, that, that really is both. It is a celebration, and for some of us, it is a loss. It is, it is hard, right? Back to reality. There is a, a two-sided coin to this thing of motherhood. And, and, and this morning, I, you know, this is not to be cynical. This is actually to draw out the, the reality of what is it like to struggle through that and to celebrate that as well? The, the Bible does that. It, it teaches us to hold both. It teaches us to have joy and celebration, but it also teaches us to deal with the reality, right? Hugs, brunch, boom, back to reality. It, it teaches us both. This psalm was a fascinating one because David is doing that. In fact, many commentators say that this possibly was two psalms squished together. Because the beginning part is all about this security, this confidence. But the second half is him, David, just almost falling apart. Hear me, God, please. He's crying out. It's, it's, it's kind of strange. I want to submit to you, as I agree with other commentators, I believe this is one psalm. That we are one person. It's not just, oh, is it all a celebration or is it all loss? We all need to think about how do we hold both? How do we understand both? And how does God really show us his character in this? What does it mean to grow 
in nurturing, and how does God do that? And he does it in two ways in this psalm, and I think it fits perfectly with it. To be strong and loving. That's it. That we're all to be strong and loving. And that's what this motherhood is of God is showing us. The first is that David begins with security, the strength here. He, there's a word here that I don't know if you noticed, and we sang it. It was actually a part of one of our songs about stronghold. It says, the Lord is my light, my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. In other translations, it may say strength. Right? There's this confidence that when he faces enemies, when they even come against me, they'll stumble and fall. There's this deep confidence, this welling up that David has. Nothing can shake me. Stronghold is an interesting word because in the Old Testament, it's used quite a bit to talk about confidence, really. We can look at a stronghold militarily, and that's actually where David comes from. If you read the language here, it's interesting. He talks about war. He talks about battle. He's talking about enemies. He's using military language because that's what he knows, but really to express his emotion as well. The Psalms were powerful because they take the reality of the inner life and really draw it out to match with the external world. And many of us really need that. We have a lot going on in here, a lot of tension inside. And yet the the Bible itself is saying the the psalmist pinned their emotions to the reality of what's happening around them. And if you look in the Old Testament, particularly anywhere in the Psalms or even the Proverbs, these kind of wisdom literature kind of areas, the word stronghold or strong tower is used of something you put yourself in. It was a place of security. It was a military place of fortification. And it was fascinating because if you read Proverbs, Proverbs is an Old Testament book. It talks about wisdom. Proverbs uses the word strong tower or stronghold often to say you find your stronghold, your military encampment in money. It'll use different things, money or beauty or power. It'll, it'll draw these out and say if you find your stronghold or, or your strong tower in money, X, Y, Z, the wisdom writer will write. And it's fascinating to think about because isn't that what we do? Aren't we taught, aren't we raised, don't we grow up thinking, hey, where do I really put my security? Where do I put my strength? When I face things, what is my confidence? What do you run to? I think it draws out beautifully that. We learn to live in things because of our insecurities. We build them, and they're strong towers. They're places that we find ourselves encamped, that we find confidence. That would be the easiest first question to do. Psalmist brings it out for us, is where do you fully find your confidence when when you're faced with difficulty? When you're pressed from your enemies and oppressors and adversaries, even the language used in the Psalms, when you find that, where do you run? What, What tower do you hide yourself in? What gives you that security? Out of the gate, the psalmist is being honest here, even at the beginning, that the Lord is my light, my salvation, for the Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? Don't our fears overturn what we really find our security in? Whom shall I fear? This pitting, this, this, this next to each other, right? It's interesting when C.S. Lewis, and he didn't write many commentaries about things because he felt very, he said he felt very actually insecure about it, but he did write about the Psalms. And when he did, he talked about this one in particular and many others where it talks about 
man meeting God <clears throat> in the temple particularly. And that there's this experience, this encounter of there's something more that when they went to the temple in the Old Testament, it's true that you see this language of you're approaching something greater. You're going into something. You're going into a relationship. It wasn't just a building. It wasn't just a, a, a place of tradition. It was a place that they thought, I'm really meeting someone here. And so in that relationship, they would make sense of, okay, how do I leave this and make sense of everything around me? Because if I'm walking into this relationship knowing who I fear the most, who that word fear we often don't equate with intimacy, who I actually have deepest relationship with the most, I can make sense of all of the things I'm, I try and make my strong tower. That, that's what was fascinating even about the people of Israel. They were not a military people. They were farmers. They were people that, that were slaves brought out of, out of, uh, of Egypt, and, and then they formed a nation. They, they grew into military, but they didn't begin that way. And so for them, the, the, the idea, and even David, who was this military genius driven out, for him to think he could grab on to millions of different things, and I'm sure he did, but for him to drive his heart back to the one that held the temple. And the temple then was not this built-up thing. It was a tent still. <laughs> it was actually a tent that was built and kind of ratty because it was really old. And for him to meet God there and to see that as his stronghold, to be with God there, that's what he needed. But see, here's the thing about this. Is this psalm, like I said, it begins with confidence, right? As we ask the question, where do we find our stronghold? But soon David's voice turns to fear. In verse 7, it says this. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious and answer to me. It changes to a cry instead of a strength. And there's this tension of holding both. How do we face fear? How do we face it? Isn't that the nurturing part of what we even learn from our mothers? I remember my mom teaching me not to cross the road. And she walked out with me as a little child, walked to a squirrel that had been totally mauled by a truck and said, you cross the road, that's what you'll look like. And I was like, ooh, okay. Yeah, I, I literally, I was like, I'd go to the edge of the road and be like, ooh, squirrel. You know, like, talk about complex in another way, right? But don't we learn our fears, and, and they're our healthy fear. Fear isn't always a bad thing. Fear is something that we, we're to, to learn. It gives you a clear view of reality. And oftentimes, the Bible talks about fearing God as above and beyond fearing what's around. There's a reason for that. It's not because God can smite you worse. It's actually because there's a greater one who's in charge of the things around us. Isn't it the things we fear, circumstances? What will happen to us? How do we handle the anxieties of this world? Aren't we nurtured in life to realize that from our mothers? No matter where you are on that spectrum, we grow up, all of us, and we teach others, whether we have children or do not have children, and we long to have them, we teach those around us what we learn in security and how to approach our fear. What do we do with that? David here is talking about enemies, rejection, even being forsaken in that way. He even talks about forsaken by his own family. But how do we deal with those great fears? Maybe that is, what is the ultimate fear for you? What is it? 
Because for David here, it's not that he's, he doesn't have other fears, but he forces himself to go into, what is the ultimate fear I have? In verse eight, he says, you have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, I do, do seek, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. You, O oh, you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O oh God of my salvation. He brushes up against another fear of losing his relationship with his God. That rejection from someone greater. We need to, we need to our fears actually cause us to know reality. And, and, and in this life, we have plenty of things to fear. We see things on TV. We have things all around us. I've read countless articles, actually in the Atlantic, they're so fascinating, even about, about people, grow, the, the next generations of even growing up and understanding, how do you relate to fear? Do we even have fear? Or is it just, how do we make sense of suffering at all? Can I? This is a massive issue in our world because we're trying to avoid it. And when we hit it, we don't know what to do with it because we have so many fears that surround us. What God does, though, is say, here's the one. And that's what, what initially it does. It says, I'm the only one that can take care of me. When we, it, when, we, when we come in contact with those deep fears, rejection, being forsaken, even by our own family, what do we do with that? How do you handle that? How do you hold that? What God's, the fear of God does is it says, there's one who loves you more and is greater than your circumstances. There actually is one that you encounter. The reason I say that about the people of the, the Old Testament coming into the temple is because they actually encountered someone real. It, it wasn't just speak. It's not just some sort of, oh, there's someone that's greater. There's actually a person that actually handles and addresses your real fear, that nurtures you, that shows you true security and safety. Even at the beginning of the Bible, if, if you're unfamiliar, it begins in a garden. And the, the Adam and Eve, the, 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 the man and woman that God has made, actually, they turn away from God. And in their turning away, even in it, they cover themselves in fig, fig leaves to, because of their insecurity, because of their shame, to hide themselves from one another and from the Lord in complete disgust. But what God does is so amazing. You would think, and many of us do think, that he's sitting there tapping his foot, saying, I can't believe that you would do this. What does he do? He actually takes skins of animals and he clothes them, it says. He says, let me cover your shame. Even though you still now live in it, let me cover it. God addresses fear. There is a reality of who he is knowing this world. And as we learn and grow from, from being nurtured, from, from our moms or surrogate mothers or, 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 or teaching our own children or whatever it may be, wherever you are with that, how do you face fear in this world and how do you teach others to do so? Is there a stronghold that you, that you encourage people to go in? Is it a, don't worry, you're much better than that person. Is it a, oh, you've been so successful, don't worry about that. Is it a shaming of you didn't do good enough on that? What does God do with this? 
He comes to us and he shows us fear for what it really is and then says, learn to fear me, the one who can put the planets in orbit and the one who can actually put clothes on your shameful bodies. He addresses those. He comes in both. And he says, you want to know how to be strong? You want to know what it means to be strong in this world and to be secure? It's not by you just being better than other people or having that one thing that you hold up, whether it's beauty or success or money or whatever it may be. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's that you do have a great relationship with your mom. Maybe it is all those things. Maybe you're just independent. Strength is not those things that, the Lord, that, that, that God says to David, that David is searching his heart, saying this is somebody who had it all. He says, but it is in the Lord. It is him who's the stronghold, the strength. Can we find, learn what it means to be really strong in the midst of that? A clear view of us and who we are? Who really takes care of us and who also shows us to face our fears with reality? Because isn't it, if God is that much bigger than what you're afraid of, can't you face the things you're most afraid of and size them correctly? Isn't a resizing? It doesn't say, oh, don't worry about that. It doesn't blow off your fear. It calls you to go in and say, let's look at it. Let's see it for what it really is. And God reveals and shows himself as such. But he also says, talks about not only this, but being loving. Not just strength, not just strength in facing fear or just having this confidence in our strong tower, but what does it really mean to be loving, to be intimate? We mentioned this earlier, but there's this whole section here about one thing that I've asked the Lord I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. There's this huge section about the temple. What was the temple? See, for, for us, we think maybe the temple was something like this structure, or later on it was built. It would be, uh, after David's life, there would be this huge, beautiful temple built, but it wasn't built yet. It was still a tent where the Ark of the Covenant was, the Ark that, that you may have seen in Raiders of the Lost Ark, but it was one of those, it was an Ark that had the, the Ten Commandments in it, had Aaron's staff, and it had a pot of manna, which was this bread-like substance that the Lord fed his people. And it was actually a box of gold that God called his people to make all the way back centuries ago, way before David, of where God would meet his people. It had two cherubim on the lid that would face each other, and they had wings that covered their faces, but they would have it. It was called the mercy seat. And if we ever sing a song that talks about mercy seat, this is what we're singing. It's a place where God would actually come and meet the priest, meet Moses, Aaron, whomever the priest would go into those walls of that tent and meet. And David himself would want to meet him, face to face even. But think about what is a temple? Like even temples that are, that are not of, of, of Christianity or of, of Judaism, ancient Judaism, there were places that were a crossroad of the holy and unholy. They were a place where you had to face yourself. It was a bridge, it was a gap. It showed you there was a huge chasm between man and God. That's what the temple showed. It showed there's only one way to breach that chasm. And when you reach that, it was, it was kind of a place of, of supernatural and natural, right? 
meeting. It was a place where God came to meet his people. But every time they had to go in and meet with God, there had to be blood. There had to be stench. Think of that smell of the odor of walking in to face God. And yet all of this blood had to be shed or spread in order to see him face to face. There had to be sacrifice. There had to be that. You even read this at the end here. When he says, uh, he talks about the sacrifice, right? Sacrificing to uh, the Lord. I will offer sacrifice in, in his tent with shouts of joy. Verse six. That there had to be some bridging of chasm because when you entered into that, you experienced your shame. Isn't that where he goes? He feels himself, God, please don't reject me. He knows himself. He sees himself for what it is. How are we to know we are loved? when we experience our shame. Many of you have read Brene Brown. I think she has a great quote on this. She's a sociologist that's actually said this. She said, the principle of obstacle to connection is shame. The sense that we are not fit for relationship. That if they really knew us or this about us, we would, not, we would get rejected and not accepted. That is the feeling of going into the temple. Many of you may have felt that even coming here. Maybe you've stepped back into a room where you have not in a long time. Maybe, maybe this is a space where you're in a place in your relationship with God and who he is and even yourself where stepping into a space like this causes you to interact with guilt and shame internally that you say, how can I do this? What bridges the gap? Temples were that. They were a picture of that. And we should ask that question. You should. Look, churches, uh, this is interesting, especially today in the South, right? Especially as a pastor, I get this often. That comments, and if you've made this comment, it's okay. But we still have that stigma in in the South, particularly about pastors or churches. As if you come into the space And if you say a cuss word in here or you do something wrong, you're like, I'm in church. Don't do that in here. Or if you say it around me or another pastor, you're like, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, as if like I'm going to turn to you and go, like lightning is going to come from my eyes. Or I don't do those things myself. But to encourage you, there is that, right? Don't we still have that stigma in us? We have that, that idea that, that there is that shame, that guilt. I often sit on planes and I wait till the person next to me says, what do you do for a living? And I say, I'm a pastor, 1001, 1002. And I get books held up really quick or, oh, that's great. Okay, church, where is it? You know, maybe they know about the church they'll talk about. But it evokes something. And, 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 and I'm just a person like you. It's not like I'm anything different, but doesn't it, there's something about encountering even the name of God or even the question of church or something about it that evokes in us this thing. Look, there's a, 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 a great song that was written called The House That Built Me. And this song really draws out by, uh, that Miranda Lambert sings, and, and it draws out this idea of going back, touching something, uh, remembering something, getting it. There, there is something there, right? It's, it says this, I, I know they say you can't go home again. And I just had to come back one last time. I know you don't know me from Adam, but these handprints on the front steps are mine. 
Up those stairs in that little bed, back bedroom is where I did my homework and I learned to play guitar. And I bet you didn't know that under, the, that, under that oak, live oak tree, my favorite dog is buried in the yard. I thought if I could, t- uh, could touch this place or feel it, this brokenness inside me might start healing. Out here, it's like I'm someone else. I thought that maybe I could find myself. If I could just come in, I, I swear I'll leave. Won't take nothing but a memory from the house that built me. Beautiful words and language of reality about being in our home, earthly, but also encouraging, what is the temple to show us? What is that? It is a home to them. It For David to enter into that space evoked everything about who he was. It was something, even the, the line here, and it may be painful to read or hear, for my father and mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will ha- take me in. Think about the language of home in that. Leaving one home, the greatest fear of being forsaken by our mother and father and being taken in by someone whose home is greater. Even recently, I've been reading a passage that has been so encouraging to me. You know, we've been in spaces before. Maybe you've been in there and I've been in, in this space even recently where I go, God, I'm having a hard time even praying right now. I, I, what do I say to you? And I looked up Jesus' prayer in his relationship with his disciples in John. It's a, one of the Gospels. And his disciples are troubled. And he says to them, do not be troubled. Take heart. I have prepared rooms for you. That Jesus himself has gone to prepare rooms. Like there, there's one about this psalm that's pointing to. There's someone that it's saying is, has come. And it will come. And, and, and David's longing to see. Because it would be easy to look at this and say, where are we in terms of the way we interact with the character of this God? Both we needing to learn strength and, and love. This, this, this security and intimacy that we are to learn this from his character. But here's the thing. None of us have done that. We all are insecure. We all love falsely because we, we're guilty and shame and we want to cover ourselves in any way because we want to try and reach back and grab something that will make us something. What is the Savior here? Who is the Savior of all those who not only are, would call themselves mothers but who would long to be mothers or who have been mothered? Th- think about this. As we approach this table, there is a body and blood that's given here. And it's amazing to see, and amazing to me is in my own heart, to see that this psalm is pointing to a character of a nurturer that would come in flesh that takes on the temple. Wouldn't, wouldn't David be amazed that we get, to, we get to see something greater than David did? The New Testament actually says that you and I get to actually look and gaze on the beauty of the Lord in an actual reality where he continued to have to go back to the temple. The temple came to us. You know, that's what this, this table is for. It's the fact that Jesus said, I am the temple. 
that the temple, he would say to the Pharisees, would be torn down and raised again and built again in three days. And they'd go, are you weird? Are you some sort of crazy architect? Can you build something like that? Because he was talking about himself. He was talking about we no longer worship necessarily and meet God in just places. We meet God in a person. And could we not, then we would not have our shame and guilt and and, and our fears handled. We would not learn what it means to walk out these doors and feel secure. You know why we can feel confident? It's because our stronghold isn't isn't just something that we create. It's the creator. It's Jesus himself. It's the one who came. He said, hide yourself in me. He is the stronghold. His name is Emmanuel, the one who dwells with us. Isn't that wild? Look, there are so many things I could say right now before we come to this table. But you need to understand that this table means that there was someone forsaken for you. You know, every word of adversary, oppression, rejection, forsaken, who was forsaken? By the one who is the the greatest fear of all that David even spoke of, right? Don't, Don't turn your anger towards me. Don't reject me. Who was the one that said, my God, my God, you have forsaken me. That's Jesus. Please, please don't come to this table this morning if, if you really, with all integrity, if you're here this morning and you kind of think, you know, I kind of have it together. I, I got my strongholds. I appreciate the sermon. It's great and all, but take time to think. Think about it. Because this is not something we just do as a remembrance. This is a reality that someone took on flesh. And if you're here this morning and you have struggled both as a mom, wanting to be a mom, having a mom, any of those, this is a table set for moms. This is a table set for the one who came to nurture us, who took on flesh. And not words, but flesh. This is what he did for us. He forsaken. He took willingly the cross so that we might be brought to this table. Let's stand now and read together.